Hello and welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. My name is Eric Patino, and with me today is... I'm Conrad Toll. Today we wanted to talk about a serious topic here, and that is the drug crisis in America. Now, I'm going to be talking about fentanyl. Conrad's going to talk about an opioid. And this is getting really bad. There's a crisis going on right now. The three main states in the United States of America that are going through this crisis the hardest is California. And I know we have a lot of California listeners out there, so if you want to email me, please do, because I want to learn more about this and if it's still a severe problem. Because I've heard some precautions being taken into place, into effect, by the... California Police Department and by the government, but I haven't heard if it's making any bit difference right now. So, but California is one. Colorado is another one that's uh, this fentanyl crisis is being hit hard right now. And Florida. And just to give you kind of percentage of, of how deadly this is going, according to the Centers for Disease Control, fentanyl overdose deaths rose 350% between 2019 and 2021. And that makes fentanyl overdoses the leading cause of death in this country for people between the ages of 18 and 45. Whoa. Yeah. Because I know that addictions to alcohol causes a large number of deaths, but I guess those are in the older populations. It might be. But here's the thing. They're trying to target young adults, even kids for that matter. There's something called the rainbow fentanyl, and that comes in a variety of bright colors, shapes, and sizes, including pills, powders that kind of resemble, like, chalk. You know what chalk is. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows what chalk is, but... Yeah, well, hold on a second. Who exactly is the cartel that's doing it, or is it drug companies? Who's who's making this? Oh, we're going to get into that, because there's several (laughs) factors, okay? Okay. But the rainbow fentanyl one is actually kind of a um, concoction of these drug dealers. Now, this rainbow fentanyl doesn't come in like that. It's being made into this concoction for attracting younger adults and kids. So what they're doing, but what it is essentially, is that they're mixing these drugs. So they're taking something like, um, uh, let's say ecstasy, okay? Ecstasy itself isn't going to kill you, but if you lace it with something, it can become deadly. And this is what they're Mm -hmm. deliberately trying to trick the younger adults into taking. They're thinking they're taking ecstasy, but what they're actually taking is ecstasy laced with fentanyl. And they're making it colorful and bright to make it non-threatening look. People are overdosing and dying because of this. Yeah, no, fentanyl is quite deadly. My uncle actually died of fentanyl in 2019, I think. Uh, it was 2019. Yeah, you were and telling me about that. It was, um, I don't remember exactly which one. I think that it's cocaine, I believe it was, laced with fentanyl. He didn't even know there was fentanyl in it. Yeah, uh, most apparently. people don't. So he was getting his cocaine, I think it was. <laughs> I think you can find lots of fentanyl-laced drugs. It's either heroin or cocaine. 
from California. Right. And was in there and he died. The question that I have, Eric, is any amount of fentanyl will kill you or is it it's just like a hint? Like It's a very powerful, but if they can regulate it within these very, very small margins that it, you'll be fine. It's just the issue is they have poor quality control when they make it. There's definitely poor quality control in making this and... There have been people who have overdosed on these laced drugs with fentanyl and haven't died, but it's really, it's really low. And, yeah, and it's think, usually uh, because the, the only reason that they're surviving this is one, because the paramedics are being called just in time to revive these people. Yeah. They got the Narcan. Right. Uh, treatment. It's very, very deadly, but it's also very, very addicting. So what, oh. so once you try it, let's say on an ecstasy pill, you don't overdose on it. You become addicted to it and you want to take another one. And that is what's the problem here. It's so addicting that you just taking it because you don't know that it's laced. And that is how people are overdosing on this. If you take fentanyl raw just on its own, yeah, you're going to die. No question about it. Because they're lacing it with small doses of this fentanyl, they're being addicted to it and they're taking more of it. Now, I always thought that the reason that drugs were being laced with fentanyl was because things like meth was hard to make. So drug lords and all of that were like, hey, if we just substitute out a little, a little bit of fentanyl can go a long way and make our batches cheaper to make. We get the same effect. But no, it's you're doing it for the addictive quality to ensure a customer base. Yes, that is definitely 100% it. This isn't just happening in the three states that I mentioned. It's like actually happening in every single state in the U.S. It just so happens that Texas is the lowest so far, or one of the lowest that this crisis is affecting. Colorado saw an almost 70% increase in fatal fentanyl overdoses from 2020 to 2021 in just a year, with more than 900 deaths in that year. And that's coming from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. So this is documented in that one year, 70% increase. How insane is that? You know why that is? No, I haven't looked into uh, Colorado specifically. But no, uh, do you know why there's such sharp increases in all across the board? No, no. Starting around 20, 2019 or so? Because right around that time mm-hmm. was the end of the opioid crisis. There was a particular opioid known as Oxycontin and, and other sister uh, drugs made from opioids that were being used as painkillers. Mm. And because the opioid crisis which had been going on for, I think, 20 years or so at the time. It was finally coming to the public awareness because it was a legally regulated drug given by doctors and still is. You can still be prescribed Oxycontin painkillers and that sort of thing. But because of the issue that the opioid crisis was causing, they cut way down on the amount of prescribed pain medication. And because people got so much harder... To get these pain medicines, what they started turning to was the black market. Oh. The so this kind of replaced that need I got for painkillers. If they were on Oxycontins or whatever, even though that's addictive, it's not as addictive as fentanyl. So these people are going to heroin to try and, you know, get them through whatever surgery. Whatever can or mask the pain. 
and they're just going to do it while they're recovering, and then they want to get off. <laughs> That's not but how it works. Inside of that heroin, which gets them addicted, which then brings us to the fentanyl <clears throat> crisis. I'm not an expert on this, but isn't heroin addictive on its own anyway? It is, but not as addictive as fentanyl. That's yeah. true. But yeah, fentanyl is flooding the states, coming in via the interstates and highways because the cartel realized that by going through Colorado, they can reach various parts of the U.S. easily. So, remember the question you asked me earlier, where is all this fentanyl coming from? Yeah. It's entering the U.S. from Mexico, but it's being made and sent all over the world. Guess where? Guess where this stuff is originating from? Afghanistan? No, China. According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, China has been the primary source of fentanyl and fentanyl-related substance trafficked directly into the United States. In 2019, the Chinese president implemented restrictions on the production and sale of fentanyl within the country. These restrictions included investigations of known fentanyl manufacturing areas, stricter control of internet sites, advertising fentanyl, stricter enforcement of shipping regulations, and the creation of special teams to investigate uh, leads on fentanyl trafficking, according to the DEA. New guidelines have the ability to severely limit China's production and distribution of the drug. You know, know the craziest thing about this fentanyl in China is? They have an epidemic there? No. Oh. This might be a, an alignment of conspiracies here. But this is actually true. Guess where the biggest lab production of fentanyl in China is? Guess no. the location. Guess the location. No. It's not Wuhan, is it? It's Wuhan. Oh my goodness. But here's the thing. I think Wuhan is a large lab area so there's a lot of labs <laughs> wuhan has a large research facility so the research facility is making fentanyl and selling it on the black market i don't know and it's never speculated that the research facility itself is making this fentanyl the workers there have like a side hustle because they're smart folks that work in chemistry the biggest lab for fentanyl can't coincidentally be also in Wuhan, right? There there has to be a reason for it. I think they're easily yeah. getting the raw components they need to make this. That could be another thing. The suppliers. Yeah, the they could easily have the suppliers there, and maybe that's why they set up the biggest lab there in Wuhan. Maybe. It's all conspiratorial here. There has to be something to it. Anyways. I got a question. Sure. Is fentanyl a synthetic drug? Fentanyl is a powerful synthetic opioid similar to morphine, but is 50 to 100 times more potent. I wonder how it relates to dolphin. I don't know. Dolphin is an opioid that's synthetic and makes it more powerful than heroin. Mm. I mean, the strongest thing that I've ever had was um, a Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely so more stronger than a Tylenol. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, actually the Tylenol really helped with my pain issue. So I can't imagine like how the insane. Well, you've never had surgery you... probably, right? I mean, not deep surgery, like a little bit of not even like a tooth removal, but like. Um... Oh, I've definitely had 
tooth extraction and that is painful. <laughs> I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't imagine what people are going through with this fentanyl crisis, but it's a real problem, Conrad. But it's being made in China. And guess what? So just before we started the podcast, I was actually watching this. I think it was an ABC documentary special, whatever, about fentanyl. And they talked to this guy currently incarcerated. So he's in prison right now. But they did an interview with this uh, drug dealer that got caught who was peddling this fentanyl. And he said, let me tell you how easy it was for me to get a supplier and get it mailed to my house. All I had to do was go to this Chinese website, find a dealer, make an arrangement, sent my payments, and like clockwork, I got fentanyl delivered to my door every month. You know, now that you mention it, I think I have heard of people getting meth from china websites oh yeah so it's the almost a new way that people get their drugs is not from mexico they get it from china interesting uh-huh. oh yes so do you think that the chinese are trying to get americans addicted not like you know your average chinese person but well let me uh dispel some myths there for a few people i think that the average chinese citizen is just as affected as the average American citizen is with this drug. I would say nobody is safe from this, not even the Chinese people itself. But I do think, yes, the CCP has some kind of agenda going on here. Because they could be purely financial? Are they just like a regular drug lord and all they want to do is make money? No. Or do you think it goes deeper? I think it definitely goes deeper. But I the think money doesn't hurt. The money doesn't hurt, but I think <laughs> think it's the, the power and the control that they have with this fentanyl is really more what they're after. Funny thing is, when it comes to like power and control and all of that, it almost kind of mirrors how the whole opioid crisis started. So... Do you know who the largest, most powerful lobbying group in the United States is? Like, what industry spends the most money in lobbying? I'll give you a hint. It is very much related to the medicine world. Really? It's the pharmaceutical? Yep, it's the pharmaceuticals. Number two, insurance. In fact, if you go down the line of the largest industries that are giving money in lobbying, if you add up all the ones that are related to medicine so you have the hospitals the pharmaceuticals and the medical insurance groups you add them all up mm-hmm. they make up about half of all the lobbying Jesus. yeah that's insane it's about for the past 20 years if you add up the pharmaceuticals the insurance and the hospitals you're looking at around 10 billion dollars mm. just spent in lobbying <clears throat> put that into perspective that's just money that you're spending on bribing politicians, pretty much. Ten right. billion dollars. Several countries that don't even spend close to that much money in that time period on their army. That's, <laughs> that's, that's probably on par with like the Polish military for the past 20 years. And mm-hmm. the Polish military isn't small. That is huge. Mm-hmm. So what does this have to do with Oxycontins and all of that? When the Oxycontins first came out, this new type of painkiller, this 
opioid created painkiller so it's not synthetic like or as synthetic as fentanyl is Mm. so it's supposed to be the first highly effective at stopping pain non-addictive painkiller the only problem was it was totally addictive yeah but it was marketed as not addictive to doctors so these doctors and it's approved by the fda as non-addictive the reason why the the FDA did that is because of all the massive amount of money that they was getting from the pharmaceutical company. Because the pharmaceutical company is pushing all of these opioids to be just prescribed by doctors. And if they can put it as non-addictive, I mean, if you give a doctor a medication and say, here is this medicine, it has no downsides to it, and it gets rid of your patient's pain. This doctor is going to be a whole lot more liberal with his prescriptions than if you were like, hey, this is a, a little addictive, you know? Make sure that your uh, patient doesn't come addicted to this painkiller, you know? Those are two highly different approaches. That's the sort of thing a doctor should know before he's prescribing it. So if you think the amount of money that the pharmaceutical industry spent on trying to buy Congress and the FDA and all these other government agencies to make sure that they get their drugs approved the way that they want them to and they don't have the regulations on them that they don't want, then it should come as no surprise to you that they would also spend money on marketing this drug to the doctors. So these doctors are given tons of advertising trying to get them to use this product in their own practices and it became all the rage for doctors and they started prescribing this thing like crazy and then as research came out that hey this is addictive and people are getting addicted to it because you know it's going out there by the you know millions of prescription people are getting addicted and as this information comes out just like back with the smoking companies when information was coming out that you know cigarettes are harmful or all those other industries they buried it Not because they didn't know about it, but because they wanted that money. And not only did they know that the prescriptions were getting people addicted, that people were abusing their prescriptions, but also that it was being sold on the black market because people would get addicted to it, lose their prescription. So there was a particular town that's very famous. It's like the hallmark of the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. where if you looked at by the county, how many prescriptions were being written for people in that county you would come out to an average of 139 prescriptions being written for each person there were more prescriptions being written than there were people in the county because the people weren't taking those prescriptions somebody was taking those prescriptions buying them filling out you know getting all these pills from a pharmaceutical and then selling them on the black market and what was going on and that was so commonplace And nobody was doing anything about it because the pharmaceutical companies were burying this because they don't care who's buying it. Just as long as somebody's buying it, they're making money. Sure. I don't understand what's going through the head of these people when somebody pulls up at your pharmacy with like a million prescriptions. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, let me just fill those prescriptions for you right away. But yeah. I'm sure it was a rigged location. Yeah, probably. Man, that's insane. Yeah, 135 prescriptions for each adult. I think I got that number wrong previously. 139 in Cleveland County, Oklahoma. The legal system, when they got a hold of this, I mean, they've gone after Johnson & Johnson for this. And it's kind of flown under the radar. I bet this is the first you're hearing of it, right, Eric? Oh, yeah. But it, it really did come to a head a few years ago. And now they're cracking down on it 
and cutting away, I guess, all the money that pharmacies made from it. But if you were to Google it, you can still see how much money the pharmaceutical companies is throwing to make sure that their name stays good. Like they're still <laughs> throwing money at it, like left, right, and center, showing I how much. It. So if you Google it, you'll find a bunch of official news sites that tell you a bunch of lies, pretty much. And not lies through actual misinformation, but omission. Right, right, right. So this one that I've pulled up, and I just, this is like my second one that I went and looked at because I wasn't looking too deep into the official sources. Mm. You really have to go to insane conspiracy theorists to figure out how messed up this is, even though you actually... It's all out there. So if you go to insane conspiracy theorists like Oklahoma courthouses and you know other places like that, then you'll find the truth, but maybe not so much in the mainstream media. So the way that it's portrayed is not that it's being pushed down the pipeline by the pharmaceuticals to the doctors as being a addiction-free opioid, even though I'm pretty sure they knew at the time when they first started pushing it that it was addictive and they buried that. I'm almost positive of it. They didn't care. They're just drug overlords who um, happen to have a uh, legitimate front as a uh, prescription company. Sure. So the main story generally will skip their whole part <clears throat> mentioning that it's addictive or it'll say uh, it was unknown to be addicting, but it probably was known. I'm sure it was too. So they skip over the beginning, really. And then it says from 1990s to 2010, it was a prescribed prescription and people were just overdosing on it. In fact, it made up two thirds of all the drug deaths in the country. So it was right around 80,000 deaths a year at its peak. Hmm. So it was somewhere, I think, around 40,000 deaths a year up to 70,000. A very, very deadly crisis. Overall, its whole run, it's killed just under a million people in the U.S. alone. Wow. And here's the thing. It, it mentions, you know, it's the huge death rate in opioids or opioid-related deaths. Heroin addiction grew because people who lost their opioids were turning to heroin as a less expensive and readily accessible because apparently black market heroin is cheaper than a pharmaceutical drug, which just tells you how much money these companies were making off of opiums. In fact, in the uh, 2010 of people interviewed who were heroin users, 90% said they started out using prescribed opioids. <laughs> oh, man. So it was kind of hooking people onto illegal drugs. It's it was insane. like a gateway drug. And then phase three, it switched into fentanyl. How do we solve this problem? Is a six-fold process. First, we need to expand public funding for treatment. And then we also need to continue research and treatment, medication and medically assisted treatment research. And then we need to also secure federal funding for overdose rates stabilize. Number four, we need to establish standards for sober homes. Five, we need to establish large scale provision interventions. And then lastly, we need to promote research based prevention treatment programs and public health campaigns. I can't really tell you the difference between most of these. They all kind of sound like the same thing. How does expanding public funding for treatment and establish funding for standards uh, sober homes actually vary? Because you would think that number two there would be part of number one, and so would number four, and then number six would be part of number one as well. So mm. do you see the issues with all of these? 
None of them actually talk about the root cause. None of them mention the fact that, hey, the pharmaceutical companies were part of the problem. I mean, they're not going to admit that. Because if you scroll down in this, it even mentions one of the main problems with it as a possible solution. Percy's writing this says, In the 1950s, more than 50% of the adult population was smoking. And now the U.S. has one of the lowest smoking rates in the developed world. So this requires multiple efforts and public funding and that sort of thing. So, you know, this is how our program will succeed. What was like the main turning point that people point to in the anti-smoking campaign? The fact that they called out the smoking companies. The fact that they banned the smoking companies from being able to promote to children. That they banned smoking companies from advertising in many different ways. The fact that they had to put on all of their stuff, hey, our stuff is dangerous. It'll give you lung cancer. Mm. But hey, that's not one of the main six goals that are all repeats and sound very fancy. No, their their thing is, well, you know, we should just throw government money at it and make treatment facilities. Not treatment facilities, cure the cause, not the symptom. But hey, this is what you get. Half of your government lobbying comes from the pharmaceutical, hospital, and health insurance companies. Yep. That kind of ties right into the whole thing about power. China's being for power through the fentanyl, right? Yep. And the pharmaceuticals got a grip on the government. It's just, um... We are screwed either way. The issue is there's just no money to be made in people not being addicted, you know? Politicians get money for getting people addicted on opioids, and the Chinese government gets money and power and all of that from getting people hooked on fentanyl. And the fentanyl helps promote the the opioids, and the opioids help promote the fentanyl. So they're kind of tied to each other, but they're actually unrelated in a way. Because really, if you didn't put fentanyl into the heroin, then we just have a heroin epidemic. But we have a fentanyl epidemic. So, you know, it didn't cause it. It just took advantage of the opioid crisis. Right. And uh, yeah, that's the stuff you're probably not going to hear because if you think that the pharmaceutical companies have stopped at, you know, bribing the government, you're dead wrong. They're bribing the doctors and they're bribing the uh, news companies and they're bribing the television ads and all of that. I suppose that will conclude today's episode, so thank you so much for listening. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That is one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. And that will be it. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, we will catch you in the next episode.